You're listening to The Mix on Civ Mix, hosted by Liz Benjamin and Joe Bonia. Well, Joe, it's our second Civ Mix podcast. I can't mix. believe it. Two weeks I in know. a row. You know what I really can't believe? We're going on week four now, are we, of social distancing? Is that really at, true? At least that, at this point. Yeah, and actually I had a really illuminating FaceTime conversation with my father earlier today, and he was hand making his own mask. If you knew my father, and I know some people who are listening, <laughs> know my father, that's kind of an amazing thing, actually. That's, that's, I have not, cha- well, I have not tried that personally yet. Well, folks are getting to be a little bit more savvier than normal. That's all, you know? Well, I am making my own sourdough bread from a starter that I grew a week ago. So, you know, I've got time. Now, for- have you ever done it before? No. <laughs> okay. Well, you had to preface with that first. You can't say, well, I'm making my own sourdough. Like, no, uh, I've never done it before. Well, you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> you do. And we are starting today, actually, with a really illuminating conversation that we had with Assemblywoman Pat Fahey. Now, Pat Fahey is a whirlwind of action. I have She's had kind of a days. hurricane. Kind of a hurricane. It's unbelievable. Right? I have had days where I have had an event in the morning and an event in the afternoon and an event in the evening. And I have seen Pat Fahey at all of those. I do not know how she does it. Well, She's I almost Paul Tonko. <laughs> well, I can say this uh, from someone who had, had worked for her. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's almost like seeing like everything behind the curtain that you see, like, you know, the, the five to 10 events in an evening, not just for the whole day, but for an evening. And then you have her, and some of them in McDonald, and as you mentioned, Congressman Tonko, and all these other folks that do the same thing. But, you know, versus Tonko, you know, uh, both Pat and John have full families as well. So yes, how yes. do you b- make that work-life balance work? Well, she is really something. And she really gave us sort of a behind-the-scenes look at the difficult nature of voting on this year's budget. And I'm not speaking of the fact that they had to do it remotely or they couldn't talk to one another or there were no lobbyists in the building. There were some serious ethical and moral challenges that she wrestled with to make decisions about whether or not it was smart to even move forward with a budget amid a fiscal picture that is changing every single day and never for the good. Right. So she really, she shared with us some, some personal insight and, and uh, difficult things that I think she had to wrestle with. And going forward, we're all going to have to address these sort of thorny questions about what society and government is going to look like when we come out the other end of this. And we will. We will come out the other end of this. But well, it, that's the one thing that's different about this year, man. And Liz, you know this from having covered the Capitol for, for several years. I mean, you, there's so much chatter that happens in this last month before the budget finally gets voted upon from advocates, yeah. from other organizations, from members, et cetera. And it, it was just kind of like this virtual way of doing it this year. Yeah, it was really unprecedented. And the governor has been given unprecedented power at a time when he already had a lot of power in the budget process. So how that is going to work out in the long term, we really don't know. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's all across the board. And you had a really interesting conversation as well with someone who's in a field that I think is hurting 
I don't want to I don't want to put anybody on a scale of hurting more or hurting less, but we know that the hospitality industry, restaurants in particular, are are really at the tip of the spear here. So I spoke with Chow Mui. She is the proprietor of Chow Mag, which is this magazine in New York City that covers uh, nightlife and hospitality and really gives people a really great experience of trying out different cultures. It, her and her family both, you know, she grew up in Chinatown. Her father was a chef in Chinatown. Her grandfather had worked there for a number of years. So there's a lot of deep connections there. And so when I spoke with her, she talked about, you know, that sort of connectivity with what's been going on with the coronavirus, you know, seeing the initial effects of people not going out anymore to these different restaurants and these small businesses, but then following into the unfortunate ugly side of this coronavirus with, you know, some, you know, bit of racial hate uh, and some other prejudices against uh, both the Chinese and Asian Americans. So we spoke about that at length and she had some really great insights in that that you'll certainly hear in a little bit. Well, I just want to say thank you to making this possible and to enabling us to have these conversations. I think it's so important to have as many conversations as possible. I know everybody is online right now and there are so many different places where you can go to get your information, where you can go to get your zone out time, where you can go to disconnect or reconnect or be with other people or not be with other people. So it's important to have conversations where we focus on local issues and people who are really trying to keep us all afloat in this moment and I thank you, Joe, for making this possible and everybody out there for listening. It's certainly my bit of public service. But before we get to that, uh, I believe you beat me to the the rail trail here in Albany County. I did. <laughs> I was there earlier today. It's true. I don't take pictures of myself when I work out. Listen, um, I only take my bike pictures. and I never took one with me on the bike. And no, so I had to do it the one time. Yeah. Well, I bought a bike uh, about three and a half weeks ago. I was like, well, I'm the only one coming down here very quietly to the studio. Uh, I'm like, I don't live that far away from it. So I'll, I'll, and it's getting warmer out. I'm like, I'll buy a bike. So then I've been on the bike every day. Uh, yeah. I love it. You know, I, every time I travel somewhere, whether to uh, Florida or California or wherever, I always use public bike strike. I just love biking anyway. Um, or I, I rent a bike or I just do whatever. So I've never had a bike here. Of course, I subscribe to you know, CDPHB cycle, but, and with all due respect to CDT, I love, I love the bikes. I love everything, but they are heavy as all hell. They are very heavy. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, there's a reason for that, but you know, the heavier the bike that you can't go as fast. You're not going as far, fast. Towards safety, right? So that's something. I do have to say when I was out, I think I finished my run at like 1130 and the trail was getting awfully crowded and I really appreciate people making an effort to stay away from one another. I mean, as soon as you come within eyesight of a person, they come all the way to the other side of the trail to give you your six feet of space. And I do appreciate that. No, you, and you still have, unfortunately, those who don't believe this is a serious situation. And I, I did see that yesterday where, you know, they're congregating with other folks. And I, don't, I mean, I would hope it's just only the family you're dealing with or friends that you're only dealing with. And let's say you're, you have roommates or whatever. But... Right. Uh, still, nonetheless, like if I'm biking or somebody else is rollerblading or, you know, you're running, you know, make, you know, be observant of your surroundings and, and make space. So therefore, we're all maintaining that social distance. Yeah. Well, if the numbers this weekend are any indication, maybe it's working. Fingers crossed, Joe, because I'd really like 
to come out the other end of this. No, and, and I think that's the you know the unfortunate fear right now. As the weather starts to get a little bit warmer, people will get that invariable cabin fever effect um, that where they can't go outside. And I think that's where it's really important for all of us together. Uh, to really ascribe to staying home right now. Yes, it's getting warmer out. And of course, if you can, and you still socially isolate and distance, yes, go out and do your own personal recreational activities. But this is not a time uh, to play, let's say, touch football or Frisbee or whatever. But I will say, Joe, you should look for the governor who just today, during his daily briefing, said he's going to take up running again with Captain. Well, you know, that that would be good. I, I know uh, John, Cam- I think either John Campbell or Joe Spector had a piece last year about the governor running down at, down at the Port of Albany, which is pretty, pretty you can, I, I think you can socially isolate as much as possible down there anyway. So you're good. That's, well, we should all be uh, looking out for the governor. If you see a guy with a very sort of familiar visage and a very large and shaggy dog, you should give him his due space. Absolutely. <laughs> well, he was on Lark Street recently. Well, he, he was on. Also, well, he, he was on Lark Street recently. Him. Yes, he was. I saw those photos too. And he might also have a security detail with him. You just, you never know. Apparently, his daughter's a big runner too, and she's doing five miles a day. And he's he's uh, hell bent on making sure that he can keep up with her, or perhaps even surpass her. So he's we'll saying see. two weeks. Two weeks, he'll be able to do that. That's what he said. Good luck, Gov. We'll see how your training does. We'll have to check in on that. Are you looking to reach a diverse audience? Advertise with CivMix today. Visit CivMix.com to learn more. Are you ready to rise and shine? Read up on the latest news and happenings taking place in your community each weekday morning on CivMix.com. Sign up to receive Rise and Shine in your inbox. CivMix, it's where it's at. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on CivMix.com. Assemblywoman Pat Fade represents Albany, Bethlehem, Gilderland, and New Scotland in the New York State Assembly. First elected in 2012, she previously served as an associate commissioner for the New York State Department of Labor, executive director to the Chicago Workforce Board, and worked in the U.S. Department of Labor during the Clinton administration under Secretary Robert Reich. A tireless advocate for job creation and the environment, she joins us today on The Mix. So, Pat Fahey, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, unusual not to see your smiling face. I have so much experience actually talking to you in person. And I was thinking before we actually connected how crazy it is when you talk about politics. Politics is a people experience. It's a person-to-person experience. And you are you exemplify sort of the persona of a local elected official. You like people. I can't think of a public event that I have attended that Pat Fahey did not show up at. So <laughs> how has this Yes, I've gotten to- off the hook on that a little. A little bit, right, but, Pat? But, but how has this changed <laughs> the way that you do business in terms of, you know, how are you connecting with your constituents? How are you, and then how are you personally? How are you staying sane? I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm healthy, and I, I have to say, I know some people are just um, so nervous uh, about themselves and their homes and things like that. I've just tried to keep my focus on work and um, getting information out to people, trying to be of some help where we could be. 
um, going to bat for the hospitals as much as possible to make sure that they are absolutely at the front of the line with getting any assistance. So we've, we've been busy. My whole office has been busy, and that's um, it's helped to focus me. Um, but in the meantime, yes, I'm trying to make sure I'm eating right and staying healthy uh, so that uh, – should I catch something, I can withstand it. So, um, but thank you. Uh, uh, all good and uh, even better now that the budget is passed. <laughs> well, right. I mean, before we get to that, though, and, and just so bizarre, I mean, look, Albany, Planet Albany was already a strange place. And then yes. the, the empty chamber and people voting remotely and no lobbyists in the hallway and reporters sitting six feet apart. I mean, it was just nothing that anybody could possibly have envisioned. But before we even get to that, I mean, can we talk a little bit about the response thus far at the state level and then subsequently the federal level? There's a lot of upset about whether or not there's going to be enough relief. Uh, the state also gave the governor an enormous amount of power. Um, he's been wielding it, I think most people think fairly successfully. Uh, what's your take? Uh, okay, a few different things there. First of all, yes, it's all surreal. It's probably my favorite word. It is surreal. It is, uh, this is my eighth budget that I've been a part of um, negotiating, passing, uh, and uh, supporting. Uh, this was by far the, um, the most frustrating in terms of not feeling uh, adequately uh, briefed and having my chance to really go back at uh, a multitude of issues and then having to write off some of the, the personal things I wanted. Uh, many of you have heard me, for example, talk about 787. I knew that things like that had to be let go to try to get some capital money for that because the capital money is is really off the table uh, for all intents and purposes until we see what happens with the Stimulus Act right. uh, or Stimulus 4, um, which I'll get to in a second. But yes, it was it was difficult for myself. I heard every single member I talked to six feet apart, thank you. Um, <laughs> but when you would see them in the hallways or over in the Capitol, um, it, it was very strange. It was a little lonely at times. Um, yeah. And and then uh, just eerie, just eerie being in the Capitol. Now, I'm used to being there when it's empty because I go to gavel a lot on the weekends uh, during our busiest times when we're advancing bills. On, you know, so I will go and gavel. So I'm used to seeing the, the chamber empty, but not during the height of the budget. Nothing like this. It's it's all unprecedented by all accounts. I just I need and, to break one second, Pat, because sure. I don't think that everybody knows what you're talking about. When you say I go into gavel, this is something that I think you inherited from Jack McEnany, if I'm not mistaken, a responsibility that you inherited. Yes. Yes, yes I yes, I should <laughs> note I I have what's called the capital seat because the capital is in my assembly district. So um, in order to uh, advance bills and in order to kind of decide when we want to come back into session, it's a it's a constitutional issue. Uh, that if we are out of session, if you will, for more than three days, only the governor can call us back in. So it's something the assembly has always taken very seriously. So every third day, um, I'm there, and John McDonald uh, thankfully helps me out all the time. Um, so it's it's usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday, except between um, uh, January and June, we're there virtually every day, and uh, even on the weekends when there's bills that are being introduced that we want to advance right. uh, and be ready to vote for. So a bill that's introduced on Friday, we want that three-day layover period to be able to vote on that bill, and every bill has to be uh, laid over for three days unless 
It has a message of necessity from the governor, which of course we see this time of year with the with the budget, which um, uh, virtually uh, most of the bills, uh, just about all the budget bills this year, this year had messages of necessity. In other words, they didn't lay right. there for three days. Right. So that's the quick answer. And yes. Again, uh, you know, look, uh, the budget was so. I'm not in the game anymore, technically speaking. You know, I'm not a reporter, and um, but I am covering it closely, watching it closely. I have people who are very interested who rely on me to tell them what it is that's happening, and I mm -hmm. couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah. And uh, yes. could you? I mean, did you know what was happening? I, um, well, first of all, I often rely on, it's a time of year when you're reaching out to individual members, you're reaching out to staff, you're reaching out to, um, uh, you're talking to senators on the other side to get a sense of what's going on, uh, because there's there's so many moving parts, right? So many different people are working on the environment or others were working on the uh, the modifications to bail reform and others were working on, uh, you know, multiple people were working on the Medicaid and healthcare pieces. So, yes, so yes. just trying to get a sense of things, especially like for us, uh, you know, Damien Center and uh, Whitney Young were very concerned about the Medicaid cuts. So trying to weigh in on those um, and, and finding those strategic times on when to weigh in up until literally the day the budget had already been printed and we were seeing if we could get money for the refugee centers. The uh, refugee centers here have been cut now from 2 million back to 1 million. And that really affects the, the three principal, but there's a few more refugee centers throughout upstate. So the, things like that, right up till the, till the moment, uh, you're taught, you have to talk to different people to weigh in on different issues. And then, you know, where necessary, go to, um, you know, go to the speaker. Uh, we were on marathon, marathon conference calls mm -hmm. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, and then I think a couple of more beyond that. Uh, but they were six to seven hour conference, five to seven hour conference calls. Because there's over 100 members trying to weigh in on these conference calls because we could not physically meet so talk about a whole new way of doing business um <laughs> it was it, it, and it's not effective it's very difficult um uh, you know you're not looking at people other than unless you call zoom looking at somebody uh, it, it's just a whole different feel um uh, to do all this remotely so yes diff it was by the way it, it, just because of the covid virus it was going to be because of the fact that the state is bleeding money right now, right? Yeah. No new revenue is coming in. So no. it was going to be the most difficult budget anyway. But the fact that we were doing this, so much of it remotely, just added, just compounded how difficult it was. But some people might even argue, just to be sort of, you know, contradictory. Why even bother doing a budget at all? Nothing, none of it was real. We just, we don't even know. I mean, the revenue picture, the governor's like, well, we might have a hole of 15 billion or it could be more. Maybe it's 20, maybe it's less, maybe who knows? I mean, a lot of it depends on when we hit the curve. We're seeing, as we are speaking, we are seeing a weekend in which the death toll went down slightly. It's still incredibly high and very upsetting, obviously, but have we hit the apex? We don't know. Will we be able to restart the economy and how long will it take? Will revenue come back? Will we get stimulus four? Will we do better in stimulus four than we did in stimulus three? Like all of this, was it even responsible to pass a budget at all? Why not just do an emergency extender and let it go? Okay, I I was up even even the nights that we weren't up till two a.m. and four a.m. 
I was up at night anyway, thinking of every single one of those questions and rather tormented by it, if you will, because I had gone round and round and round in my own head on a number of those questions. First of all, I kept thinking as well and thinking, let's just do an extender. Let's just do an extender because of all the questions you just asked. None of those were known, right? None of those were known except the one known thing is that we know the revenues are not coming in. We're not getting the receipts. So we know we're bleeding money. Right. And the 10 to 15 billion that the uh, DOB, the, budget, the uh, Division of Budget Director, Rob Mojica has said, that has been validated by a number of different outside parties, including by our own ways and means. So we knew that that was the one answer. We know it's as bad as bad gets. But the reason we didn't do the extender, the reason I was fine then with not doing it is I think that we had to show that we were still doing business, still putting down the marker, Mm -hmm. for instance, that we still want at least try to, to try to keep last year's funding in education or try to hold the line on a host of childcare programs or economic development, a whole host of programs, even if we know once we register those receipts, because now we don't even know when the, what the tax receipts will be, right? Because our April 15th tax deadline will now be July 15th. So at least we've put a marker down knowing that that can change, but at least we've, we've weighed in as a legislature, as that critical third branch of government to say, this is where we want things, recognizing we have given extraordinary powers to yes. the governor and to DOB to cut beyond that. And that alone, by the way, was a huge debate. It was huge. Uh, but, but do you feel confident that the legislature is going to be able to keep the executive in check? And I speak in the way that I just did on purpose. I am not saying this is not about personalities. We are speaking of a precedent setting approach in which the executive who was already enormously powerful in the budget process in New York has this incredible amount of power. And, and, you know, maybe they may even revisit the revenue picture every month and come back to you and say, we're going to cut. I mean, schools were held harmless, quote unquote, flat, if you will, with the understanding that that's probably not something that's going to Continue into the future, depending on what the federal stimulus picture looks like, et cetera. So right. do you believe that the legislature still has a role to play when it comes to budgeting? Okay. Yeah. Yes. First of all, you are absolutely right. This, it, just by the design of our, uh, our budget process, the governor already had extraordinary powers, right? And yes, we have amplified those to a big degree. And, and that started with uh, uh, giving him a powers under the the state of emergency that he had. And by the way, that was the right decision. And that was a uh, hours and hours long debate three weeks ago to give the governor those powers. And again, something I supported because I could see what was coming and, and I had been following the um, uh, the virus and, and what was happening with it around the world. So I, I think we almost had no choice but to give the governor some uh, additional powers with regard to revenue because mm-hmm. We, the economy has come to an absolute standstill, and if anything, the economy is in a complete upheaval. Now, none of it's not totally unprecedented, though. Last year, when we were already seeing some real spikes in the growth of our health care, uh, our, our Medicaid costs, we did give powers. Uh, they were not acted on, but we did give powers to the budget director, Rob Mojica, to go in and cut if we didn't achieve um, such savings from the uh, some of the some of the amendments adopted last year. He right. did not use those, but it's not. So my point is, it's not unprecedented to give some of those powers. We've made them 
much. We we have definitely made them more broad this year. Last year they were just to healthcare, uh, and they weren't quite as broad this year. We've made it broad. There are three different dates as to when he can go in. We have given ourselves, ourselves being the legislature, we have 10 days. So let's say he comes back in and says, we're, you know, revenues are even worse than projected. Uh, we're going to have to cut another billion dollars in um, between education and, and child care, right? Yeah. Not to scare anybody. We have 10 days to come in and say, and try to come up with a, uh, an alternative solution. Otherwise, those cuts stand. Now, the, the key behind all of this, all this is pretty scary, right? And, and, it, and I recognize we are giving unprecedented, expansive authority here. But the key in preventing this will be this fourth stimulus. Uh, you heard the governor really trounce, uh, the, well, really um, uh, express complete frustration with the stimulus that just passed now just a week ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that New York was shortchanged. New York, in many ways, did well on a few fronts, right? With employment, with some business, small business assistance, and a, a few other things. Where we fell short in that stimulus is giving money to the state because we already had a four to six billion dollar shortfall before the coronavirus. Due to so the fact that it's now ten to fit all in Medicaid, all in Medicaid, and we needed help with that. And quite frankly, I do think Congress shortchanged us. I, I think the governor uh, makes some excellent points on this, and I think we were shortchanged in the stimulus three. So now we need a fourth stimulus targeted at the states, as well as uh, the localities. The speaker has been on the phone with uh, with all the electeds, especially Schumer, and as you know, the governor has as well. Um, yeah. I've been on with their staff repeatedly. In fact, we've composed a number of bills we'd like to see, but we need state aid, we need some local aid, and the other big one for me is rent, rent, rent. We yeah. need some help with uh, uh, rent before we see uh, a massive uh new wave of fallout with uh, uh, the inability to pay rent, especially in New York City. We run out of time with you. We're going to have to check back with you, obviously, because so th things are changing so quickly and it's so difficult mm -hmm. to keep everything straight. Are you thinking at all? I know, you know, look, I've had a lot of time to sort of stare out the window and wonder what are you worried about the significance of the change that we are seeing in our social structure, in our government structure, in our employment structure, the idea that when and if we come out of this, we will be so fundamentally different than when we went in, maybe in a good way in some aspects and in others, maybe not. I'm, it's the other thing, I, I can't get my mind off of bricks and mortar. Bricks and mortar are where you, I, and virtually every other person who, even millennials, right, got their first chance at a job. Uh, there's some great literature out there that the early exposure to jobs really makes a difference in your long-term career. So these teenage jobs that we've struggled um, that's one area that we've had less employment in, even in the good times. Well, with bricks and mortar, with stores being, um, I, I think we're just going to see massive closure of uh, our malls, our small stores, and um, anything that's not a grocery store or a Target-type chain uh, is, going to, is, is being hurt substantially by this. But movie theaters, I don't know how they survive. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that we will, uh, we're going to miss out on that, 
uh, opportunity for teenagers to have that early career exposure really worries me if bricks and mortar does not survive. And I think a number of them will not survive. So yes, fundamental changes into the economy. I think a, a lot of businesses are going to say, wow, we can do a lot of lot more from people uh, being at home. Mm-hmm. Why am I paying these premium office rents? Yeah. So you're, you're going to see a ripple effect um, in the economy uh, with uh, business rentals, let alone the, you know, the homeowner rentals, uh, sorry, home rentals, as well as um, uh, home ownership, just the ripple of so many of these uh, problems. It, it, this is not uh, whether we start to turn around the economy in a few weeks or in a couple of months. It is years in the making to begin to see it rebound, when, especially in places like New York City. Right, New York City. One final question, I guess. And you find yourself, you know, in Albany, you're sort of. I don't want to get into the where does upstate start and downstate end debate because we could have that for quite some time. But you find yourself in the middle, really, of a turning point and a regional turning point. And I wonder how you navigate that because the governor issues an order and says, I'm going to come and take your ventilators. I need them for New York City because people are dying and there's no PPE and there are no ventilators and we need them and I'm going to commandeer them. Or you have people escaping New York City because they're terrified and they go to their upstate homes and then the upstaters say, well, wait a minute, we, you're, you might infect us or we don't have the services for you. I mean, how do you navigate that sticky wicket? I have seen a divisive, a, a bigger divisiveness uh, than ever, even again before the coronavirus. Uh, some of the bail reform really divided upstate, downstate which is really unfortunate. Um, I'm, I'm glad we've, we've done that tightening up, which is all I was looking for, some modifications on this. Mm. Um, but now this divisiveness with the corona, and that's just not the case. I, I support what the governor is doing. We are one state, one state. And I made it clear to both Albany Med and St. Peter's, absolutely take those, those patients. This was early on when they were afraid of a backlash. Mm. I said, I will stand with you. I will be supportive. Um, the only frustration I've had is that um, just as New York City has been so severely short of PPE, the, um, the protective gear, I have um, felt the same here up at uh, Albany Med and St. Peter's. And I've just honestly, my single biggest issue uh, from the coronavirus has been the lack of masks, uh, let alone the rest of the PPE, let alone the, the full protective gear, that we haven't had enough masks here at Albany Med or uh, St. Peter's, let alone let alone downstate. So I try to look at this. I think what the governor is doing is a reasonable one. He is trying to go after where the biggest um, uh, need is right now. And I don't think he would desert Capital Region, Buffalo, anybody else wants that. Once the the um, uh, the the, uh, the curve begins to spike up here as well. So I. I think he's he's acting in a reasonable way, and I've already seen it. Um, talked to a sister-in-law in Chicago. She does mm-hmm. speech therapy. She's not even dealing with COVID patients, and she's still going through four masks a day when she's in a hospital. Wow. And I said, we have the hospital personnel at Albany Med, unless they're dealing with COVID patients, are not being asked to mask. And I just... It's um, a, a serious bone of contention. I put out a lot of statements on it. Um, so we still need some help up here, but that said... Uh, we also need to share where we can with um, 
uh, with uh, helping New York City. And I've seen the helicopters coming in the last few days to St. Peter's and to Albany Med to, uh, to bring those patients in from downstate. Well, we're out of time, Assemblywoman. We could speak for much longer, and hopefully you will be back with us to talk more about this unprecedented moment in our state's history, really for the nation and the world. I thank you so much, and stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you. It's it's a real pleasure. It's an honor to be one of your first guests as you oh. want. Oh, and, thank you, Pat. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I welcome I welcome the chance to work with uh, you any chance. Um, so thank you for doing this. Thanks for the interest in what are truly um, unprecedented times on every level. Are you ready to rise and shine? Read up on the latest news and happenings taking place in your community each weekday morning on civmix.com. Sign up to receive Rise and Shine in your inbox. Civmix, it's where it's at. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com. Chow Mui is the founder and editor-in-chief of Chow Mag, an editorial site and events company based in New York City. Since launching almost a year ago last June, Chow Mag has developed a growing community of over several thousand loyal users through unique branded experiences and editorial content. Chow Mag has featured Judah Freelander from 30 Rock, Chanel Ali from MTV's Girl Code, to prominent New Yorkers ranging from the co-founder of Venmo to the owner of a 73-year-old Italian shop in Brooklyn. Prior to founding Chow Mag, Chow spent seven years working in the advertising industry representing some of the industry's most reputable television directors and production companies. Chow is also the award-winning producer of Boycott Band, The Return of One More Wish, which was shortlisted for a Cannes Lion in the public affairs and lobbying category. Welcome to The Mix, Chow. How have you been? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Now, what's funny here is that Chow and I both went to the University of Albany. And what's really, really interesting is that we were both part of Albany Student Television. I was director at the time. <laughs> and Chow and her friend Ima had a, uh, had a show. What was the name of the show, uh, Chow? It was called, <laughs> it was called <laughs> the Super. <laughs> Are you ready? It was called the Super Awesome Music TV. Wait, the Super Awesome Music Show. That's right. That's right. and, and we we never produced a full episode. Not a single episode. We were... Not a single episode. <laughs> so we continuously came to you with new ideas, and we had tons of like half edited clips. But you know, this was this was peak peak weed uh, infusion in mine and Ema's lives. So we were major right. potheads. Can I say that? Can yeah, I it's fine. That, or... It's fine. It was it was almost <laughs> it's almost legal here in New York State. Yeah. <laughs> So there's plenty of clips. I'm, you know, maybe I will actually find them because I still have the hard drive. And during this quarantine, I'll pull them up and have to submit them to you and to watch. Well, that's that's the fun thing that I have. Uh, a number of friends are going through things they haven't gone through in, you know, five, ten longer, you know, longer than that number of years, where they're able to capture those uh, photos or videos or whatever content. And now people have all the time on their hands to do that at home. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's a good idea to do. <laughs> I can't wait to see. I'd like the one thing I can remember is that we had a little skit with two guys who's 
who's Nick, they were two best friends and their names were Binks and Big Sexy. Oh, God. And I don't know what they're doing. Do you remember them? Uh, I <laughs> vaguely, vaguely. Oh, God. I have no idea what their real names were, but they literally went by Bigs and Big Sexy. And oh, I boy. pray to God that they are still going by that and doing well in life right now. That's that's <laughs> the hope, right? In the age of Corona. Yeah. And so with that, yeah. uh, we have a few questions for you, Chow. Uh, so with Chow Mag, uh, you've been the source for New Yorkers to experience different cultures, meet new people, and overall have a great time. I know to the events I've gone to, that you've hosted that I've had an absolutely amazing time. I've come down from Albany down to the city, had a great time. Um, how have you shifted um, that sort of direction uh, in light mm-hmm. of the coronavirus situation? Yeah, you know, it's been a little, you know, pretty crazy. Um, we've had to make changes, to, you know, completely overnight. Um, a lot of the things that we were doing more in-person events ranging from, you know, an eight person drunken dumpling tour around Chinatown to a 150 to 200 person singles dating party. And, um, you know, a, a bunch of different types of events in between. So the very last event we did was actually on March 10th. Um, and that was a friend of a friend party, one of the singles events that we do. And um, we had six, or eight different events that we had planned for the rest of March that so we all had to cancel all of them. What we've been doing is actually trying to A, turn the events to virtual, virtually. So we've been doing a lot of Instagram lives. One of the events that we were supposed to do was to actually build an experience, a pop-up speakeasy. And I know you're a whiskey fan, right? I so am. You're, I, I, I partake yeah. in the, the rise and the bourbon. <laughs> so we were going to build out a speakeasy at this there's this massive uh, festival that takes place every year it's called whiskey and beer uh whiskey barrel oh my god i'm i'm totally blanking out whiskey and barrel night and they have this festival with 150 to 250 different whiskeys that you can sample and we were essentially hired to build out a speakeasy inside the facility which was inside 10 plaza pavilion which is right across from madison square garden and like create a whole immersive experience that when you walk in you would feel like you were really in a speakeasy hmm. so you know we had all these like really fun i mean it's, it's hard to take that experience and you know turn it into something virtual so now what we're doing is um myself and tj fink who is the the expert mixologist that we work with we've been doing speakeasy at home um, Instagram lives where we're teaching you how to create cocktails with whatever you have in your kitchen. And, um, it's not exactly the same, but it's just, you know, we're basically trying to do what we can to still bring that entertainment, that fun and, um, that experience to you through the computer or your, or your phone. What's the response been for that so far? So far it's been pretty good. You know, obviously it's not as many people be, would like, you know, for the event, we were expecting anywhere from, there were supposed to be 800 attendees to the event. So for this Instagram live, it's, you know, maybe we've had like a hundred people come in through, throughout through the live. So um, it's the one thing that we do have that's been really nice though, is the people engaging with us in the chat. Um, people are going, people are so bored at home. So they're having so much fun with us, complete strangers responding, telling us all the crazy things they have in their kitchen, all the drinks that they've been drinking because they've been going crazy at home. Um, 
And now we're just trying to figure out if there's a way for us to create like a virtual box, you know, like partnering up with a local um, liquor store to send, you know, the actual, what, like a drink making kit to the people so that they can watch this at the same time. But that's something that we're just, we're just, there's so much space for creativity right now. So we're trying everything. I think that's the one thing we're all trying to figure out is how can we be creative for our brands? I know the brands that we work with, we've had to shift that entirely uh, from, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, uh, on-premise events to, you know, activation events, outdoor festivals, all these different things that you would think are these, they have to be done uh, basically with people, right? And now you've had to to flip the script. And it's all now figuring on on Zoom or House Party or Facebook Live and still trying Mm -hmm. to maintain uh, that sort of connectivity with, you know, your fellow humans, really. Yeah. And, you know, the crazy thing is when we first started the site, um, Child Mag originally always was an editorial site, first and foremost. It was meant to showcase all that was fun and local in New York City, specifically like you were saying, the culture, the cultural hotspots that we don't, that traditional media doesn't really pick up. Um, and very quickly, we fell into events um, by accident. I had heard, um, yeah, I think I had read on like a medium blog or one of these like startup blogs, like, hey, how you can build awareness for your startup is by throwing in-person events. So I threw a trivia night and just you know, basically emailed all my friends like, hey guys, if you can make it come, we're going to play trivia at this little bar. And we had 40 or 50 people show up, which I did was not expecting. And it was like, you know, when you have all your different groups of friends combined in one place, it's like your work friends, meeting your childhood friends, meeting your gym friends, meeting your drinking friends. And you're like, is this going to be, this is either going to be amazing or terrible. Right, right. And Right. And it actually ended up being amazing because with trivia, people are talking, you're kind of forced to engage with each other. And it's like you're all coming together to solve this puzzle or these questions. So from doing that trivia, we started doing more and more events because so many people were saying to us, we had so much fun. We love these in-person events. We love meeting new people and having it not be awkward. So we were really pushing, putting all of our resources and efforts into in-person events. So literally the week that, um, like the week before we canceled our last event, like right before the quarantine really happened, you know, my partner and I were talking about um, how we could blow up our events more. And like, we were thinking, we were planning a tour for our friend of a friend to be doing like, to be doing like um, several events in a month and several events in different locations in the, in the different boroughs. So it was definitely, you know, it's definitely shaken everything that we've been doing um, and turn it upside down to go from editorial to events and now back to editorial. No, and I, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I think with, with any sort of, and we're even finding this with CIFMIX too, is that, you know, we, you know, we've actually, this is now, almost the the one year anniversary of actually Ooh. doing CivMix in the first place because we at least had the idea uh, for it uh, like in January of, of 2019. So, you know, with this podcast, I mean, we're, we're trying to do something different because we were looking at maybe doing some on-premise events and some, you know, events that really, you know, push the, you know, the, the website out. But 
mm-hmm. we can't leave our house, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, we've all had to kind of, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, flip the script. Uh, let's let's pivot a little bit. Um, your family has a, a fairly deep connection uh, to Chinatown, and you spoke about that mm-hmm. recently in a post on, on, the, on your website. Uh, can you talk? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more more about that? And you know, what are you seeing and hearing, uh, albeit from home? Sure. So I, my family is, um, you know, we're Chinese, and my parents came over in 1985, um, and they settled in Chinatown. Was the very first place they went to. My grand uncle was the very first one to come to America. Brought over, you know, my my aunt and my two uncles and my dad. And then my dad brought over my mom and they all live in this tiny, tiny walk-up apartment in, on Canal Street for several years, um, you know, not speaking the language and really doing what they could to survive. And at that point in Chinatown, there were only so many jobs that you could do without speaking the language. So my dad and many of the other Chinese um, immigrants who came worked, started working in the restaurants. So he was a chef in, you know, several of the Chinese restaurants for over 30 years. And my mom started off working as a seamstress in one of the sweatshops in Chinatown. Um, what people don't really know about Chinatown is that the restaurant industry and the garment industry is massive. The garment industry is over $150 million a year there. So, um, you know, we, my whole family was in Chinatown. Um, we moved when I was about eight, but you know, my, my ties to Chinatown are, are still there. They're so strong because my dad worked at all these restaurants growing up. So we knew everybody and every Chinese New Year, we would go to all the restaurants. And as kids, you know, my dad would take us to all the different Chinese restaurants downstairs into the kitchen to say hi to all his chef friends who would give us all like red envelopes for Chinese New Year. So it was like a very fond memory for me. Uh, it was a place we went to every weekend, um, you know, either for dim sum to visit my grand aunt who lived in one of these like tiny tenement apartments. And it still had like the bathtub in the kitchen because that's kind of, that's how old school her mm-hmm. apartment was. It's like when they start to like boil hot water for baths. <laughs> mm. So um, yeah. And then, you know, I think when could the coronavirus pandemic really first started out um, in December, it, you, you could definitely sense how much you could sense it because I actually run drunken dumpling tours around Chinatown. So that is me taking like groups of anywhere from four to 24 people around Chinatown to five different dumpling spots. And, you know, we're drinking and hanging out and talking about the culture along the way. And I will not, I will always remember this. It's just usually so packed and I have to call in advance at every location to get, you know, my orders in, to get my spots in so that, you know, my guests can sit. And this one day, it was a rainy day. I was, I was taking on a group and I was like, wow, this is really eerily cool. I was like, wow, it's like really empty today. I, and I thought it must have been because it was like, a three o'clock on a Wednesday, it was raining. So I kind of assumed it was because of that. But the very next day I took another tour and it was just as empty. And it was a Thursday after work, which is usually pretty packed. And then that weekend I do Sunday ones 
it was once again, super empty. And I realized it was because people weren't coming to Chinatown anymore because of the coronavirus. Mm. And I'm going to all these vendors that I talked to. Some of them are, have been there for the, for over 80 years. So one of the liquor stores I go to Mark's Wines and Spirits um, is one of the oldest shops in Chinatown. And they were telling me that they were seeing like, this is in December, maybe January, a 50% loss in traffic in in comparison to pre-coronavirus. And it's only gotten worse. So since then, since the, um, you know, when you walk through Chinatown now, there's everything is closed. And the conversations I hear from my dad, who's still very good friends with all these people, um, especially in February, you know, every day he, he would tell me like, oh, like so-and-so isn't working anymore. So-and-so had to close their restaurant down. Uh, you know, so-and-so isn't there, like showing us videos and footage. So Chinatown essentially has become so, you know, they're, they're on its very last legs. And right now there's a lot of really great initiatives. Um, one of them is called Love Chinatown, which is helping to connect a lot of the Chinese restaurants who don't speak English and don't have any social media and don't have a, a website to build that for them. Um, and there's and there's also a lot of initiative by locals to order takeout and delivery and buy gift cards from some of these restaurants, but um, which is helpful. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's only it's 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 only putting a bandaid on the wound. Right, and then it kind of follows up into my next question, which is again with that same post, uh, you were talking about a troubling trend uh, in terms of reviews for Chinese restaurants, where they saw a pretty much a spike downward. Uh, in March Mm -hmm. uh, because of the coronavirus. And uh, that is also correlated to what we've been hearing, a rise of hate crimes uh, against Chinese Americans and Asian Americans overall. Um, And of course, it's something, you know, historically that this country has unfortunately seen a hundred years ago with the Spanish flu, where, you know, it was pretty much, I mean, the, the name that they've always heard of it now is the Spanish flu, but it was always used against uh, other immigrants. So it could have been the Italian flu for some or the French flu for others. Um, how, mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of mentioned how damaging um, this whole situation has been uh, for these small businesses. But if, I mean, what, what, are, what else are you hearing on that? The racism is, is really real. It is insane. Like even for me, I don't go out anymore, but I like, I would say like maybe two or three weeks ago, I was still going out for a run and it came, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I haven't experienced any, you know, extreme racism, maybe a few looks or something that's going to the grocery store, but I've been hearing so much about people being attacked um, for being Asian. One of them specifically was like a very good friend of mine, Kathy, her sister was at, her sister was walking by, was leaving Baruch college and two girls came, like a group of four girls came up to them and started, you know, yelling racial slurs at them. And I think one of them even punched her sister's friend. I, I mean, it was, it's insane for it. You, you, you always think like, oh, these things happen so far away in like some town in Idaho, but these things are happening all over New York city in your own neighborhood in Manhattan of all places, which is the most diverse cultural club um, hub you can think of. So it's, it's pretty scary. Like even for me, when I was going running, I would bring my face mask, uh, my keys, my money and my pepper spray. And that was my, 
like going outside gear just in case anybody tried anything. Um, the racism and the reviews that we were talking about, I actually talked to some friends who do data and analytics at Basil Labs, and they found this whole source of information of the number of, re of reviews for Chinese restaurants, which they saw that dip in December. And it slowly started going up again because there was such a huge influx of local support from people saying like, guys, we need to go support Chinatown. Like we all got to order out and, and deliver and blah, blah, blah. So there's a huge influx of that local support. But then, you know, February, March, it just really dropped down again because you know, the, the fear is there. And, you know, to an extent, I, I, I can totally see and understand why, you know, even for me as a media platform, there's only so much you can do. And there was a point where I was feeling guilty, like, I want to support these small businesses, but God forbid, what if someone gets sick? So, right. and especially, especially when the reporters, but especially when the government is telling everyone to social distance themselves and stay home. It's like, how do you support the business while maintaining you know the public's house at the same time like that's a responsibility that we're that i'm conflicted with and then also being a chinese american it's like well what do you know it's, it's very confusing it's certainly these are certainly uncertain times and these are certainly scary times for many but um yeah. you know after the rain does come the rainbow and yeah. when we are all able to see each other uh, which we will at some point very soon, hopefully. Uh, what will mm -hmm. be the first thing you do when you're able to leave your house and uh, be under a stay-at-home order? I am going to get dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> dumplings. There we go. Like, out, you know, I am the dumpling queen. Not because I'm the queen of the dumplings, but it's because the, I'm the, the dumpling queen of queen. dumplings. Right, right. Yes. I am going to go to Chinatown. I'm going to go to all my spots. Shout out to Super Taste, Shanghai 21, WZW, um, Tasty Dumpling, all my spots. I got to go see how they're doing. And I called a bunch, I called, I'm, I'm sad too, because I called a bunch of them and I've, I haven't been able to get through. So I know their restaurants are closed, but I don't have their personal numbers. Hmm. So it's kind of hard to get in touch with them. Um, but I do have to say one thing that's been great about, you know, the positive thing to look at is, the amount of local support that has been popping up, like you see so many people who are just trying to do something to help, just totally normal people starting up um, new little Instagrams and organizations and GoFundMes and um, just like newsletters just to support one another. So I think that's been really uh, a powerful thing to see is like, there's still people, they're so good. And I think, for everyone to just maintain their sanity, they need to also focus on the good things that are happening or what they, what good they can bring to the community. Where can people find Chow Mag, Chow? Um, you can find us on our website, chowmag.com, C-I-A-O-O-O-M-A-G.com. And always remember it's three O's because I could not afford the domain for <laughs> one or two O's. It happens, it happens. <laughs> And um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Chowmag, C-I-A-O-O-O-M-A-G. Um, sign up for our newsletter. We send them out every Friday with really fun information. We are doing Instagram Lives as well. So that is taking place Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. So like I said, we were doing so many events 
uh, in person. Now we're trying to make it up for it online. So hopefully you guys are getting the best of it and still having fun. That's awesome. Ciao. Thanks again for being on the mix and we'll certainly talk soon. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Of course. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com. civmix.com